Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to a very special episode of a Mortar and Pestle a PCCA podcast. My name is Mike Delisio, and I serve as the host of A Mortar and Pestle. And we just wanted to give thanks as we wrap up 2020. It has been definitely a difficult year, a challenging year, and a year for hopefully more opportunity and growth. And we'd love to thank all of our subscribers and our listeners out there for of who have helped make this podcast a tremendous success. Over the course of the 2020 timeline, we've had the opportunity to record over 25 episodes and we've hoped that we've been able to touch on very exceptional topics and things that have helped you specifically in the world of independent community pharmacy. Moving forward, we have chosen some of our most best moments with either industry experts, physicians, other pharmacists who specialize within compounding and that hopefully have changed the way that you've looked at the practice as a whole. We hope that you enjoy the next episode as we will recap some of our best moments. Enjoy. You know, Doug, I, I appreciate you kind of jumping into this because it's such recent news and it's something that we hope can get the message across to your audience as well, as much as our audience. Just, I guess, to wrap things up, maybe one of the final questions that we have and something that was commented within Fox News as well was the community pharmacies that specialize in compounding medication that had the ability to prepare hand sanitizer products, the ability to fulfill prescriptions for medications that are potentially hard to find right now that have drawn national media attention. Uh, how have you seen those that compound adapt uh, to this very quickly evolving marketplace? Yeah, I think the talk track, the talking points for compounding pharmacists has been, um, I mean, this crisis that you know, no one no one is happy about, no one wants to see, but there is an opportunity to elevate and kind of recast, um, recast uh, people who've, who've served the population. And compounding pharmacists have stepped up in a big way. I mean, so the hand sanitizer you mentioned, that is, um, you know, that na the national shortage of hand sanitizer, well, who stepped in and helped to fill that public health gap compounding pharmacists. And so, you know, there, it's not like the, the battles with the FDA, when, when, when this passes, that FDA is going to be all, you know, rainbows and puppy dog and, you know, say what, uh, whatever we'd like to hear them say from the compounding pharmacy community. But it has to change the dialogue some because when there was a time of need, compounding pharmacists came to the rescue and if there is ever any question about the value of pharmacy and the value of compounding pharmacy, which I can't imagine there being that question, but if there is someone out there with that question, that is totally off the table now. Talking about the endocrine system, when I started working here in 2011, I remember you walking around the building and you're a walker and a talker, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> if anyone's ever been in this building, they, they know that you're one of the consultants that will roam and chat yeah. and have these conversations. After nine years of listening to you here and there, I became much more knowledgeable on the endocrine <laughs> system because you tend to grab a lot of these calls. And I think it's important for a lot of our listeners to know is that you, and maybe I'm speaking on your behalf, 
but you tend to take a lot of these calls focused on men's health. Yeah. Um, over, over the decades that you've helped out a lot of our members, are there any stories that pop up that you just, you remember certain patients or certain people that potentially were trouble cases that you help work with them uh, where you notice a tremendous benefit? of customized medication? Well, I always remember one particular thing. Uh, you know, I don't remember all the, all the calls. Uh, I remember a lot, there's a lot of discussion, but I always remember one time a guy telling me something that to this day it'll have an impact just my thinking of it. He was talking about his father and learning about low testosterone, and he told me, thank you for giving my father back to me. I'll never forget that. Yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff. And I think we, we've heard that too from other either pharmacists, members of ours, whether or not it was a physician as well, talking about getting your life back, using those words, uh, not realizing the full impact on what hormones can do to the human body, yeah. but also the psyche as well. So it's, it's really interesting to see or to hear more about male andropause and the fact that you've devoted a lot of your professional career towards this. Um, with that being said, you know, 23 years experience simply... Uh, obviously covering different topics as well, but most, most of it dedicated towards low testosterone, men's health, ED, hair loss, et cetera. What do you see the future? And where, do you, where are you looking a lot at certain things right now? Because I know we came out with a Trevis a couple years ago that was a base designed for the delivery of testosterone transdermally. Is, is there a next step or is there something that you're looking at towards the future where people may have missed out on low T 23 years ago? I don't say, think this is necessarily a treatment option, but I think that what is often missing in our healthcare is education from an early on stage. In other words, if we could take the term wellness and say, what does wellness mean? And if we could develop systems to better educate people at an earlier point, then I think we would be much healthier down the road. So from my standpoint, uh, one of the things that again, remains really compelling to me, is how do you educate people to take care of themselves when they are 30, 35, 40, 45, so that perhaps they don't become overweight, perhaps they don't get high blood sugar, they don't become hypogonadal. What are the things you could do early on? Those are the things that, that is the biggest area in my mind that it is still underdeveloped. They, I don't know whether the medical system doesn't get paid sufficiently, for wellness care, but I know what we often see is people waiting until they have a medical condition that requires treatment. That could be uh, uh, metabolic syndrome, for example, being overweight, having high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high triglycerides, etc. But what if we had done a better job earlier on talking about what you can do? So uh, the, a component part to me that's always been important. And uh, for example, when I have written stuff about how do you treat this? One of the things I usually start with is what you can do individually. And I, and I know you, you believe in this, but I believe in this. You know, I believe in what I can do individually for myself. And I think that if I were in a community pharmacy today, I would be doing a lot on, uh, that I could doing my best to educate patients to find out how they were getting the best information so that they could do more to prevent things that would happen, that will happen down the road. That's probably uh, one of the rare and unique comments that I've heard 
from a physician perspective. We, we always talk about the triad, but I think often when we do interview doctors and we have a chance to discuss the experience with compounding pharmacies, we don't necessarily take into consideration the customer experience yeah. and how important that is. Aaron and I recorded a podcast on customer experience and how important it is as an independent community pharmacist to stand apart and to be a, uh, a leader in your community, not only from a medical point of view, but also to serve your patient properly. So very interesting that you follow up with your patients to ensure that they're getting an adequate level of service Absolutely. and an expectation that sets apart from dealing with potentially a chain or somebody else. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the question that I would have how important is it, or have you noticed a difference when a person or a pharmacy is a member of PCCA in terms of delivering quality ingredient, delivering the quality formulation or the ability to work with you on a formulation, and obviously the basis and the delivery system. So how important is that conversation, and is that something that you look for in your vetting process as well? I do look for that because that tells me if they're part of that PCCA process that they're going to have quality that they care enough to do that and they're using products of high quality, that means a lot to me. And, um, and it just, it trickles down. If, if they care about that, they care about patients, they care about the formulas they're making, that's important to me. My wife gets her, her hormones uh, from, those, from those pharmacies, so I want them to be as good as possible and I don't want anything less for my patients. I noticed that when I'm out in the field talking to a lot of our compounding pharmacists, they are a little intimidated to go to doctor's offices and talk to them. So is there any advice that you could give them as far as reaching out to you? Because a lot of our uh, pharmacists don't necessarily have somebody like yourself coming in and, and introducing themselves. Um, but they do want to introduce themselves to you sure. and other practitioners, but they they get a little lost in the weeds and not really sure how to go about that. So what can you share about the best advice you could give them for contacting somebody like yourself? Yeah, I, I think it's very important, number one. And, I, and chances are, you know how it is when you're, when you're going to meet someone, you're just as nervous as they are. So doctors aren't any special people or any different, you know. And quite honestly, we don't really have any more education than these compounding pharmacists who are very smart people. So number one, they shouldn't feel intimidated to approach a physician. And um, physicians should really have an open mind to this. Um, most of my colleagues, unfortunately, are not trained in this. They don't understand it. And unfortunately, uh, and this is not a bad thing, but I, I, the stuff I've seen, just because I've been a, trans, uh, a traditional physician, I've kind of trans transitioned into functional medicine. Physicians have egos, sadly. <laughs> we all do, to a degree. And they don't like to admit they don't understand something. And uh, they don't like to be lectured to. Um, so, um, and that's not a good thing because that inhibits us from learning. So I think the compounding pharmacist shouldn't feel intimidated. They should call the physician up, talk to them yourself, say, I, I have some new things that you might be interested in and I'd love to show them to you. And I think it, it can work. And there's always going to be pushback for some people, but the reality of it is we, run, we all run into that in our lives. And there's a certain point where if somebody's pushing you back that much, then maybe that's not the right person to be pushing toward. I agree. Yeah. But I, uh, I'm always available. If any of your compounding pharmacists want to talk to me, I'm happy to do that. And it doesn't matter if they're in California and I'm in Pennsylvania, I could still give them views and opinions and I'd be happy to help. 
Do you see yourself working strictly with females or do you work with males as well? Everybody. Everybody. Yeah, it's a family deal. It's a family deal. You know what? You're not the first person to say that. Um, Sebastian wasn't here with me last year when we recorded with um, Dr. Carfora, and she brought up the exact same thing. It's always a family situation because the family is always involved. The impact on children, the impact on the husband-wife relationship, and it's truly a, a family approach to medicine. But, you know... Number one, that's totally true. I'm in an agreement with that. The other thing is we think of hormonal issues as being something that happens later in life. It's not pregnancy if it's not sex. It's mainly perimenopause, postmenopause, andropause. It's when you get older that your hormones get weird, and then you might deal with them. But actually, because there's so many chemicals in the environment that are hormone disrupting chemicals, we are seeing hormonal imbalances in children, in teens, in kids. There's an epidemic of polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's really somewhat like menopause in young girls. They have almost no estrogen. We see a huge rise of infertility, which is secondary to endocrine disruptors. So hormone health is now an issue for everybody young kids and ideally we, even if we're healthy we should get our i think our hormones tested once every decade to track them so when you get off of health you can see where they were when they were healthy so hormone health at all stages of life i'm hoping to pass forward the information of how important it is and that's what i want to encourage you if there's one message that you guys leave with from this podcast is that if you really want to build your business, you should really follow those God-given passions that you have, because all of us are passionate about different things, right? I mean, we all have different interests, different things that drive us. And if we bring that into our business, if there's room for that in our business, you're going to find that if you are doing what you're passionate about, it's going to help your business grow. So kind of share a few things. Do you mind if I share a few things that I was passionate about that help build our store? That's so exactly what we're hoping for, my all friend. Right. Perfect. So one of them was, so I really love dermatology and I love veterinary practice. One of the reasons I love dermatology was that, you know, patients would come in and you could literally see exactly what they were dealing with. And I really felt for these patients. And I loved being able to see what we were working with collaborate with physicians, collaborate with the patient, because of course the patient needs to be collaborated with as well, because they're the ones dealing with this, and then work with that team within that triad to come up with a solution that would hopefully treat the problem. And I'll give you an example. We had a patient that came in one day, and she had this condition that I had really never heard about, but I had never worked with. It was called actinic chelitis. She came into my practice and she said, you know, I've been to two dermatologists. I've been to two dentists because it was a condition that was around her lips. And both of them, all four of them said that there was really nothing I could do and that I had to live with this the rest of my life. And I, we had a lot of students that would rotate through our pharmacy. So I asked the student, I said, hey, let's just do a quick PubMed search on treatments for actinic chelitis. And she was able to find a study on imiquimod, and uh, imiquimod was used to treat actinic chelitis, and they actually found that it was very successful in this particular study. So I spoke with her. Commercially available imiquimod was very expensive, which really wasn't the issue. The issue was is that the cream base 
that the Mikwamad was in was something that she was allergic to. She was very sensitive to most creams and lip balms. And she said, well, you know, let me show you this lip balm that I'm using. If you can recreate something like this with the drug in it, then that'll work. So we looked at the, the ingredients, the inactive ingredients in her lip balm. We ordered some amiquimod, and we were able to compound this treatment for her. And within 16 weeks, she went from a condition that she was once told was completely untreatable to being completely clear. And she actually took pictures of her results week after week. And I'll never forget about 15 weeks into it, I saw her at a Starbucks on a Saturday on one of my days off. And she said, you know what, this, this orange juice that I'm drinking, this was the first glass of orange juice I've had in, in years. And she said, I just want to let you know that last night as well, for the first time, she said, I've been married a year and a half. And for the first time, I was able to kiss my husband. And it was, it was very emotional for me because not only was I able to see the results, but I was also able to feel her, her excitement uh, of the fact that she had been treated for this condition. So that's why I love dermatology. It's something that you can feel, you can see, patients get excited. And really, when you help people's skin conditions, you really boost their self-confidence. And, and that was one of my passions. Uh, we also ended up later on in our practice starting a cosmeceutical uh, specialty as well, where we would make cosmetics and, you know, legally, it's, as long as they were labeled properly, properly, sell them over the counter. And uh, that was actually part of the business that when I sold my pharmacy, we continued with that part of the business as well. And then my other passion was really veterinary. Uh, you know, I loved working with animals. And being in Southern California, we had access to you know, some major facilities like the Los Angeles Zoo, San Diego Zoo, SeaWorld Animal Park. And from the very beginning, we started marketing to those those practices, uh, not really expecting that they would call us back. And literally about a year and a half after I marketed to SeaWorld, which was the facility that I wanted the most, they called us and we were able to build a relationship with them. In fact, the last veterinary conference that we had at PCCA was at SeaWorld and we got to go as a team and actually visit uh, the vet that I used to work with. Uh, so if you are passionate about something, it doesn't have to be the same things that I'm passionate about. All of us have different passions. If you even speak with people within clinical services, you're going to see that out of that team, everyone has a different passion. You're passionate about something. Take that, utilize it, find a way to build it into your practice. And, uh, you know, can I share one more example as well? If you don't mind. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. So the, the next thing, I love travel. It's always, I love traveling and seeing different parts of the world and seeing different cultures. And I said, you know, is there a way to incorporate my love for travel with my practice? And we actually started a travel medicine uh, specialty within our practice. Now, here in California, with appropriate training, you can actually, uh, you can actually prescribe well, they call it furnishing, but it's you know truly prescribed travel medications to patients without physician oversight. That is if you have gone through and received the appropriate CE. Now, I know that's not the case in every state, but everyone has the ability to meet and consult with patients when it comes to travel medicine. So, you know, I had patients that were coming in, they would give me a list of the places they were going to. Uh, if we were, if we had them, we would give them the appropriate vaccinations. And each and every one of you may have uh, 
different rules within your state, either allowing you or not allowing you to uh, administer vaccinations, but we were able to do that. We were able to make recommendations to their physicians. So sometimes people were traveling with their with their children and they needed the, their anti-malarial placed into a suspension because the child didn't want to take those large anti-malarial pills. Uh, maybe they needed medications for traveler's diarrhea. In fact, we would even put together travel medication kits, which would include their medication, sunblock, you know, uh, bug spray or bug cream, you know, bug repellent, uh, some probiotics. So we were, we were able to build our uh, sale of OTC supplements as well, all because it was something that I was passionate about. So, you know, again, your passions can turn into something that your business uh, gets involved with, and it can also build your bottom line as well. And, and really, it just goes on and on, on and on. I mean, I love being relational. So we had a consulting, uh, you know, a consulting service that we provided within our store where I would consult with HRT patients and, you know, the, the list goes on. You can take your passions and you can put them to practice within your own store. And even if it's not your own business, realize that within the business you're working with, you can communicate with your management or with the owner and you can say, hey, here's what I'm passionate about and here's how I think it can build our business. And uh, you can make it happen. So I'm going to take things back a sec only because this is a ton of amazing information. And, and, I feel like we're, we're discussing or spotlighting Facebook as to what it is. I guess a common question that we often get, especially with those that have zero presence on social media, is where, where do I start and do I have to create pages and profiles on every single platform that exists? And are people going to start focusing on you know, having a Twitter handle? Is there an importance for having a professional LinkedIn page? Are you, do you need to create an Instagram page as well, so you have your individuals to follow. A couple of things that come top of mind for myself is that I always think about what the patient demographic is. And the individuals that are walking into the pharmacy, picking up their scripts, um, and then also the ones that I'm interacting through a patient follow-up program, understanding you know what are their behaviors, how do they want to be communicated with. And these are all obviously broad consumer behavior questions. However, how important is Facebook, I guess, versus everything else that is available specifically with independent community pharmacy? Because I believe that is an important question to answer to hopefully give guidance to those that have zero presence right now. Um, Facebook and Instagram are interlinked, so that's great. You can do Facebook and inter Instagram together and promote that way. And I th even when... One thing I would like to say, though, is please keep your handles, which is the at, whatever you name your page, the same on Facebook as you do on Instagram, just so it's seamless. And you, whenever you go and say, oh, make sure you follow us, you can just put that one at and then whatever your handle is, and it can be all in one. Yeah, so that's a really great point. Another term, handle, it's basically your username. Yeah. But we found that kind of challenging when we were starting our Instagram because our Facebook handle was PCCA and PCCA was taken on Instagram. So that's kind of a really good point is, and to answer your question, Mike, maybe it would be good to set up your accounts across all the platforms that you see yourself investing, investing time in eventually so that you can make sure that that username is consistent and just kind of have that platform set up. But then as far as actually making the accounts 
viewable because you can hide them, um, at least on Instagram and Facebook. As far as making the accounts viewable and actively pushing out content on them, I would say if you have no social presence right now, start with one, establish yourself on one. My recommendation would be Facebook, just to share a couple of like key stats with you guys. Facebook has over 180 million users in the US alone right now, which is just tremendous. And it has um, almost a third of the global population worldwide has an account on Facebook. So the reason that I recommend it is because it is just so widely used. And I know we kind of joke that, you know, Gen Z millennials aren't on Facebook, but millennials and baby boomer age ranges are the most steadily growing demographics on that platform. And it really is a great opportunity to reach, you know, the people that tend to use compounding. And then as far as, you know, reaching millennials, obviously, I'm a millennial. We aren't investing in hormone <laughs> replacement therapy right Not now. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but it is a really good opportunity to start building a relationship with these people when they're younger and as they're starting families before they get to that point so that you're already connected with them. They already recognize your brand and they already have some sort of relationship with you for when they get older and they, they are looking for the services that a lot of our pharmacies tend to provide. What would you want to leave to our audience that is trying to you know, emulate what you've done and, and really try to start ground up and apply patient consultation, uh, apply functional training to regimens, looking at diet, looking at sleep, thinking about cortisol and having a, an holistic functional medicine approach to overall health. And then you, you tied it in with what are next steps. So potentially get a CRM, which in a nutshell is the ability to to catalog or database, you know, patients that you do obviously business with, uh, potential prospects and, and people that are not necessarily within your ecosystem that you want to bring in, and then how you're also interfacing and communicating with these people uh, constantly through, you know, social media campaigns, which it sounds like you're doing effectively, and you're growing your, your base in a year where, as you said, people have thought this is the biggest challenge in the world which it's been health-wise. However, there's still a lot of business opportunity and the ability to expand your current, your current patient base and your current pharmacy model, uh, regardless of the situation around all of us. So that was a question. You've, you've, you've alluded to it in terms of what you're doing. And I think you know just the integration of a CRM and the ability to create a strong patient follow-up program was something that we also discussed with Aaron a while back and we, we realized that there was a tremendous importance with creating strong patient follow-up programs. And sometimes the integration of a CRM is so important. So I'm happy that you brought that up because I know a lot of our pharmacies look for what CRM to use. And there's a lot of ones that are free. You don't have to go absolutely crazy and buy the most sophisticated um, CRM like Salesforce, for example. You know, those are things that are more structured for, for larger organizations, for larger sales teams. You can still acquire open source CRMs that are available for the most part free or maybe a small amount per month and still have the ability to, to capture leads, funnel your, your overall prospects, know where your, your patients land and, and what to do with them next. So I'm really happy that you brought that up because I think it was, it was something that I wanted to have you allude to and expand on, you know, what would be a next step for 
uh, any recommended for our membership, really, you know, if, if they are interested in learning more about emulating what you've done, I think what I wanted to also leave off with is, you know, potentially finding you on Facebook and, and seeing what you've done. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're definitely someone who loves to share. You're, you're here for a reason. Um, how would you welcome PCCA members and other community pharmacists from learning more about what you've done with Facebook specifically so that they can have a better understanding of, you know, developing something from the ground up? Hey, great question. And yes, I love sharing. And, and, and I was actually right before you started talking about it, I said, you know what, I have an idea. I'll share the idea with them a little bit. I know we're, we're, we're cutting it short in time, but yeah, see, the CRM is like the brains behind everything. You cannot, you have to have a CRM, the automation. There's so much automation that I use. Guess what? Follow-up is huge. I send thank you cards. I send um, follow-up emails through my automation. So I have a whole nurture sequence all built in my CRM that they're getting that I don't, it's automated. It's automated. And it looks like it's very personal, but it's automated. Right. So that's critical. And so what, 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 the idea that I have, Mike and Sebastian, if you guys are interested, man, why don't we have a workshop? I mean, I basically have taken what I've learned in the gym world. I've implemented it at the pharmacy. Why not just expand and have a workshop so that we can do, and I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll share with everybody, hey, this is, this is the platform I use. This is how we set it up step by step. And that way, at the end of, a, of the workshop, maybe eight or 10 hours, they have built something out that they can use at their pharmacy. I don't know. It's just, that's the way I think, man. I think big, if that's something you guys want to do, just let me know. I, I think it's going to be a two for one answer um, only because it also gives everybody a bit more insight in terms of who we are becoming as an organization. And that's just the overall delivery of ongoing information. So whether, you know, whether it's through the PCCA blog, which is free access, that is a weekly, I'll call it a digital publication that gets released and it's, it's constant information, constant content, so many nuggets and pearls and things that people can use as takeaways. Um, it, it's available to a worldwide audience. So we have so many subscribers to the blog, literally hundreds of thousands of views, uh, if not plus. And I know I hate making comments like that because it, it, we are dated in this time right now, as I speak in October, 2020, you know, those numbers will change dramatically moving forward into 2021, but the blog is open to anybody. So all you got to do is put in your, your email address and you're immediately subscribed. And, and I talk about that very often when it comes to the podcast, this is another way for us to leverage information and content available to the worldwide market any individual outside of PCCA membership who seeks information on compounding pharmacy. Now that's all tied in as well as one of the key things and the ability for us to deliver information to our specific member audience is through our apothegram. And the reason why I bring up the apothegram is that knowing that being part of this organization for 10 years myself, seeing the true value and how that's also evolved I think back in the beginning where everyone would look forward to that quarterly publication. You know, there was always uh, an internal information piece, learning more about what PCCA is doing and, and truly what has gone on over the last three months. And then there's always those amazing scientific nuggets and resources and, and content once again to further improve everybody's position 
from a free quarterly publication. And you think about the importance of how that's evolved now. And once again, it still has that value and will never lose its value. It's something that is so important to helping individuals within their own pharmacy setting, helping educating their staff. Once again, the apothegram is so big and, and it's, it's a big part of who we are. It's a big part of our marketing content. But once again, just staying connected with PCCA. When we heard from Sarah and Ashley and they talked about their social media strategies and you know, truly helping individuals out when it comes to developing you know, digital content for, for pharmacies and, and what they truly represent in the marketplace, the really cool thing to me is you know, we have tons of ways to stay connected with us. And I always drop that statement at the end of every podcast because it is extremely important. If you really want to learn about what's happening on a day-to-day basis or a weekly basis, you know, stay connected with us on Facebook, stay connected with us on Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter. And once again, the subscription to the blog and the podcast have so much value. And I, and I think a lot of our email communications as well, um, it probably does get overwhelming for most because of the amount of information that we try to release, whether it's, it's about our bases, it's about our scientific information that we've, we've created on the back end. If, if it is those nuggets or those pearls that need to be once again, brought under a spotlight, you know, our email campaigns and the amount of information that we do release via email is tremendous. And, and being, a staff member, it, it probably is difficult to find the time once again. So I, I think as an organization, we are cognizant that people are extremely busy, that time is a, the, probably the most valuable resource in the lives of those that specialize on personalized medication. And when, when taking all those things into consideration, we try to make things easier. But at the same time, we're still trying to adapt to what people like, what people want, and we want to make sure that the information, the content that we assemble is organized in such a way that, you know, people are not going to spend hours digging for it. And I think that's, that's once again, the extra prong of service. You know, one thing I've always mentioned is that we have three prongs of service as an organization to hopefully help our members with the communication of information and the delivery of the content that is so valuable. That's either through our customer service team through our inside sales team, through our outside sales team, you know, in the the traditional year of of being visited by a PCCA member, or sorry, by a PCCA sales rep, or being called upon them from our own internal office, has been a primary way to stay connected, to stay in touch. But at the same time, the members only website, in my opinion, becomes the fourth prong of service, because that is truly where all of our content lies, all that information will be available to you 24 hours a day and, and really how we consistently develop and improve and figure out ways on how to deliver that content in a, even in a better way, in, in my opinion, is truly, once again, maximizing the value of membership. And so I guess this is where that document came from the FDA, that you need to know your bulk substance provider because they're also the ones who have to be responsible for the acquisition and the vetting of the products that they're, they're actually purchasing from all of these different manufacturers. And so effectively, even the supplier is almost working as a, it's kind of almost a manufacturer because they're actually manipulating those products as well. And I think you were discussing that a little bit earlier is our facility, PCCA, does have requirements that we have to conform to because we're looked at by the FDA as well. 
Absolutely. So we are an FDA registered CGMP facility. We've, we have been inspected. Uh, pleased to say that those inspections have gone very well. And, um, you know, it, the, it just goes to the, to this important point that the, the, the environment in which a product is made and the environment in which it is repackaged is, is important. So many people may not realize that the FDA considers repackaging as a form of manufacturing. They write, when they come in and inspect us, they inspect us just like they would a, an API manufacturer uh, because they understand that when I receive it, the testing that I do on that product is important. The, the, the way I store it is important. The cleanliness and then our procedures around cleaning and, and, and pre, you know, preventing cross-contamination is important. Uh, the testing of the repackaged product is, is, is a big deal. Um, and then how eventually it's stored and then all the quality assurance around that and, and shipped and whatnot. These are all really, really critical attributes that, that the FDA will pay attention to. Also, how, you know, forward backward traceability, uh, just the systems or our quality system is, is, is something that the FDA always takes a really close look at when they come in. And, you know, um, and in terms of uh, the kind of going back to the, the bioequivalence line of thinking that we were just speaking about, um, I, I meant to, to throw in there that you know, there's, there's a term that the USP will use, and that's called functional equivalence. And, and so there are, there are things, there are specifications in a monograph that are not included in the, that, that are, you know, the, the monograph for a, a, a raw material doesn't include all of the, the key, you know, specifications that are important in, a, in, a, in the physical and chemical stability of a formula. And, and, and the USP will actually uh, state that uh, outright in, in a couple different sections. Um, so they, they use the term functional equivalence must be determined before you before you uh, before you substitute, uh, and that's 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 one of the reasons also that, that the pharmaceutical industry, when they look at vendors, of course, there's all the regulatory things that they look at, the processes, and you know, uh, are important. But there's also the, there's critical quality attributes, functional attributes of a chemical that they will evaluate. Uh, like particle size and solubility, I throw that around a lot with people. Just those are easy things to, that uh, that commonly we see as issues between two different chemical manufacturers. And um, so, it, it's 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 the little things like that 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 lead to just just that they're they important uh, for for a pharmacists to consider when they're when they're using raw materials. So what's interesting, Dan, is that you mentioned mission and vision. You know, those are our core principles for, for most companies, whether it's that, once again, that internal messaging or external messaging, what do you want to try to convey, not only to your employees, but to your customers? It, those are obviously things that, you know, most companies might define, they might not define. They might just live it, eat it, breathe it, and, and truly uh, embrace it on a daily basis, but it's not hanging on a wall and just having it on a wall is also doesn't really provide that much value as well. If you're not going to truly uh, make it one of your core principles that you truly try to abide by. Um, are there other fundamentals, you know, thinking about 
either pulling the Band-Aid off, as I mentioned, and restarting from scratch if you're an established business, or whether or not you're planning on creating a new business with a new brand image, you know, what are some of the core principles that are the cornerstones of kind of building and developing your next steps while trying to take all this into consideration? Yeah, so like as we mentioned, if you're thinking of it as an inside-out kind of um, inside-out goal or inside-out project, let's say, is the inner core. You have your purpose, you have your why, so you have to make sure that you're defining that. Then you have, you know, a vision statement, and whether or not it's hanging on a wall or not, it needs to be authentic and it needs to be genuine. And if it's not, you have to make sure that you're you're creating the desire to, to make the vision authentic. And then on the next level out, you have a, a mission statement. And that's really, you know, how you plan to achieve your why. Uh, it's, it's what you say, it's walk the walk, talk the talk. And from there, you're gonna really define some of those values. You know, what are the humanistic qualities of your business? Um, are you an expert? Are you a leader? Are you an innovator? And I would say, part of those values needs to be some sort of definition of rules of engagement for your staff. So it's like building a baseball team or a soccer team or a football team is you, you're going to pick staff members that have the values that you want, but each of those staff members also needs to know the rules of how you expect them to play with, with those values. Uh, a good example, if you're going to say, you know, you'll, you get the right thing all the time. And if you don't, we make it right no matter what. You can't have a staff member, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an assistant say, well, we didn't get it right. You'll have to pay for it. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. But if they don't, if they're not given the def definition of how to engage with that and the expectation on how to do, do it right, whether it's autonomously or not, is that you'll, you'll never really gain that brand awareness um, and buy-in from the consumers. They'll read right through it. I, um, you were asking about cases, about helping with something, and probably one of the most dramatic cases, and I, this was not one of my cases, so I'm gonna steal one of Chris's cases that I think kind of makes a point as to what we can really, really do with horses. Um, so basically, especially you probably remember this story there was um there was a, a huge fire in australia not not recently this was several years ago 2017 when all of this happened but a, a significant area in queensland got burned and there was a lot of ranch land there and of course when the fire came through fires from just looking at what happened in california can go through very quickly and a lot of times you don't have enough time to get animals and they can get burned. Well, these particular horses got burned in the fire. And fortunately, there's a vet school in the area, the University of Adelaide. And the owners have brought the horses in to see, to see the veterinarians because they had gotten burned so, so badly. And the, the member that worked with that particular vet school, they called PCCA USA to get some help on this. And so these horses, they had burns on their face, on their legs everywhere and we followed a few of these horses and um, what we did was we did a combination of um trainalac two percent and um pentoxifilin two percent and then we put it in a 50 50 mixture of practicil plus and paloxamer and to cover these areas because we wanted something that was going to 
gear better, but we also wanted something that contained the Pracosil Plus. The Procraxia oil in that particular base actually helps reduce inflammation. And as Sebastian was talking about earlier, horses overdo everything. And so whenever they're healing, because they're herd animals, their body tries to heal quickly so that they're able to get away from the prey. So when they're healing from wounds like this, you'll have what's called proud flesh, which is basically overgrowth of the granulation tissue in the wound. And so that was a huge concern. So using that formula, we addressed the inflammation with the pentoxifilin as well as the wound restructuring and healing process and then also with the Pracosil. So over a period of several months, we followed a horse. This horse healed completely and no profit. And like within about an eight to 12 month period, their hair actually grew back and you could barely tell where they were burned. And I've got, I've shown these pictures at vet symposiums before, but it's a huge, huge testimony as to what we can do in the equine world. So that's why I say wound care, things like that are very underserved. And, but you can make a very dramatic impact with not a whole lot of effort. And so I usually recommend people pursue that first with their veterinarians that take care of horses. Well, there it is. 2020 as a recap. Thank you so much for all of our listeners and subscribers that had the ability to follow along to our mortar and pestle for the course of the calendar year. We hope that if this is your first time listening to the podcast, this gives you a much more of a general idea of what to expect in the year to come. We just love to thank all of our guests and to the individuals that have come on and truly contributed to educating the independent community pharmacy space. And once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for following along. We wish you a very happy holiday season and all the best in 2021. Stay safe and we'll catch you in the new year. Thanks again. This is Mike Delisio and we'll hopefully listen soon. 